Hi, this is Herb Kressel, and welcome to the Radiology Podcast. Uh, this morning we'll be dealing with a, uh, a very uh, thought-provoking study, uh, and I'm joined by uh, Dr. Matthew Davenport, Assistant Professor of Radiology at the University of Michigan, who with his colleagues uh, did a study on the repeatability of major diagnostic features and scoring systems for hepatocellular carcinoma using dynamic contrast-enhanced magnetic resonance imaging. Welcome, Dr. Davenport. Thank you. Uh, also joining us today is uh, Professor Richard Barron of the University of Chicago. Uh, Rich is a, uh, a highly regarded expert on uh, liver imaging and uh, Rich wrote a thought-provoking editorial on this work. Uh, thanks for joining us, Dr. Barron. Thanks for having me, Herb. Okay. Uh, Matt, can you start off and uh, tell us uh, why did you actually do this study? What was the motivation? Sure. So these scoring systems were designed for two major reasons. Um, the first is that when we diagnose HCC by imaging, we want to make sure that we're always right because if we're not going to get a tissue confirmation, the imaging has to just always be right. So that's 100% specificity is what we're looking for. And the second reason is because the scoring systems uh, are trying to improve the coherency and the consistency of radiology reporting. And historically, you've had a lot of issues with people reporting things in different ways, which means that clinicians have a hard time understanding it, similar to how mammography reports were generated 20, 30 years ago. And we wanted to see how well do people agree when we employ these scoring systems? Are we getting the same results if we have three different people or 10 different people look at them? And the, uh, which scoring systems did you look at? And could you tell us a little bit about those, the three of them? Sure. OPTN uh, scoring system is used to... Um, determine whether something's an HCC or not uh, with respect to eligibility for transplantation of the liver. Uh, LIRADS, which is a relatively new scoring system designed by the ACR, which is designed for liver lesions of all types, not necessarily just HCC in patients who have chronic liver disease. And AASLD, uh, which is uh, the oldest of the three scoring systems, which also focuses primarily on trying to diagnose HCC. Okay. Now, uh do you use all three at your institution? Were the people involved in the study familiar with all of them? So at our institution, we use two of the systems primarily. We use LIRADS for everything uh, between um, LR1 and LR4. And once something becomes a definite HCC by imaging, we revert to the OPTN system. So the macro we have in our reports includes both the LIRAD score and the OPTN score. And if the OPTN score is not met, it says deferred to LIRADS. We do not use the ASLD system. And, and Dr. Barron, at your institution, are you using all three? Well, we use them in our mindset as we work, but we don't put them officially in our reports. Yeah, at our institution, I don't think we put them in our reports uh, directly as well. Uh, so uh, tell us a little more about the study design. So how did you select the uh, cases? Apparently there were 100 cases selected. So we had a, a bunch of cases, around 500 or so, uh, of patients who had chronic liver disease. And basically I went through those cases and gave preliminary LIRAD scores to them uh, on an integer basis, one through five. And as soon as something met criteria for one of those uh, LIRADS integers based on the scoring system, then I preliminarily assigned that score to that uh, lesion. And I gave 20 into each of the integer categories uh, before I distributed them to the readers. Okay. And uh, 
How many readers did you have? Ten. There were five experts, uh, people who had between six and 11 years of experience reading liver MR at a transplant center, and then five novices who were all radiology residents. And do you think that there was any learning curve issues by yourself in terms of the assignments originally or the readers, and how did you deal with those? So we tried to address the learning curve issue by having a preparatory educational session where everyone kind of got in a room together and for about an hour all the systems were presented, we discussed them, we discussed the differences between them, um, why the systems were different, how they were different, um, and so we sort of hashed that out ahead of time. Now, uh, can you tell us sort of uh, what you found? What was the repeatability and the inter-observer variability? What were the general trends? Uh, in general, we found that um, the OPTN system was the most repeatable of the three. Um, the main reason for that is because the intermediate risk assessment scores, LIREDS 2, 3, and 4, and ASLD 2 and 3, which is a modified uh, system, um, just were not very repeatable at all. They had fair to slight agreement. Mm -hmm. So I think that's the driver behind it. The other thing is that when you use ancillary features to adjust a LIRAD score, so T2 hyperintensity, uh, intracellular lipid, any of these variety of ancillary features, which aren't specific features for HCC but may be supportive of the diagnosis, every time you apply an ancillary feature, it actually negatively affects the repeatability. Okay. So with each assigned ancillary criterion, the repeatability uh, became worse. Now, now, you didn't look at this directly, but uh, as I read the paper, the question comes up, you know, how much of this is human factors versus sort of nuances in technique? Uh, you know, the uh, cardiac output uh, could affect things, uh, the dose of contrast and the way it was given, the exact timing of the arterial phase uh, and the washout phase uh, acquisitions. So I think what you're referring to are patient level and technology level um, sources of repeatability, which may be an issue if you had the same patient scanned several times or had multiple patients scanned several times, but we didn't we didn't really do that. We had everybody looking at the same pictures. Mm -hmm. So uh, whatever problems or limitations inherent to the arterial phase of a particular patient, everybody was dealing with that same issue. Pure human factors. Rich, when you uh, read the paper, were you surprised at these results? Oh, not at all, Herb. You know, we've all experienced in seeing the, trying to get two radiologists to agree first on what the requirements should be, and then second, interpreting them has shown great variability. So, uh, from, from your point of view, uh, Rich, if you're not surprised, should we throw out these scoring systems? What are the lessons that are learned here? Oh, absolutely not, Herb. Um, you know, I think we have a long history of radiology with reports often in the community that would say there is, there is, there is, impression, there was, there was, there was. <laughs> and we, we have a, obviously a long way to go. but. I think the lessons are that we need to really pay attention to our communication, that nuances that radiologists can express in their reports can have dramatic impacts, as Dr. Davenport's expressed on patient outcomes, and that uh, we really need to uh, go beyond thinking of this paper just as interreader variability and going back to the basics of how does radiology communicate with other specialties and other fields to really get our goal of patient outcome. I see. And, you know, uh, uh, 
I, we sort of had occasion recently to kind of go back and uh, think about how the BIRADS began and uh, how the uh, scoring system uh, that we, we use for uh, complex renal masses developed. And, and those were sort of done by, you know, in one case, one person, and another, like a small group in a room. And they came up with these elegantly simple things, uh, sort of on the back of an envelope, and then empirically it just worked out. Uh, and I think uh, perhaps in a way we've been seduced by that because the world is more complicated. Uh, and a lot of the other important types of decisions that we make as imagers uh, maybe have a lot more nuance uh, and uh, more potential for variability. And so we really need a, uh, a more uh, structured way of uh, identifying these systems, uh, validating them, and uh, uh, putting them out uh, uh, into, the, into the public. Uh, Matt, in your group, are you going to follow up on this? What are the uh, implications for the research going forward? So um, it's interesting because we wonder what are we supposed to do with this information. We have these big scoring systems and even the one that's used nationally, the OPTN system to disseminate transplants, a big deal. I mean, even that was not perfect. We still had people disagreeing with each other on things. So fundamentally, there's an undercurrent here where we're relying on subjective features like arterial hyperenhancement, washout appearance pseudocapsule. These are inherently subjective things to make major decisions on someone's life. And um, I, I wonder if we need to be more quantitative about it mm -hmm. to reduce this variability. I don't know how to do that exactly, um, but that's my first thought. The second thing is that our paper doesn't at all get at um, what are the outcomes for these categories. If I tell a patient or a doctor that I see an LR3 lesion, what does that mean? If I see an LR4 lesion, what does that mean? Or a 2? What does that mean? So does that mean that they can ignore? Do they have to biopsy? What's the management? So I think that the LIRAD system is an, is an excellent, innovative first step, but needs a lot of work because we don't know what these categories predict. And, and right now there's just too much disagreement between the categories. Now, Richard, we both go back a long ways uh, in terms of uh, uh, using CT and MR for liver lesions. And, uh, you know, you kind of allude to this in your editorial. Uh, the reference standard that we use evolves over time. Uh, you know, when we introduce these technologies, we're painting with a very broad brush, and then we sort of refine things over time. And uh, I wonder uh, what you think we should be doing in terms of developing a database that will ultimately be more suitable for structured reporting. I'm not quite sure I understand your transition there, Herb. Can you clarify that a little bit more about going to structured reporting? Well, uh, you know, if the endpoint, if you're using an imperfect endpoint, right, clinical follow-up or something like that, uh, you, you wind up with criteria that have a certain performance feature. We see that with the retrospective studies all the time. We start off and the to get enough cases to analyze, the reference standard is non-optimal, okay? And to use an optimal, let's say like in the liver transplant 
I mean, it would take you years to gather that data, whereas people want to have sort of an early understanding of where the technology might fit in. And then if you're assigning uh, structured reporting where you're making this finding means this, uh, it, it depends on what data is the backbone for making those decisions. And if that is changing over time, it may have implications. Yeah. So I, I now I see where you're heading. I think Dr. Davenport had the, the right concept when he said we really need to move not necessarily into linear measurables, but certainly at this stage, take subjective assessments and create a quantitative score. And I think a great role model would be the uh, prostate field where the Gleason score pathologists long ago took something totally subjective, very similar to radiology, but created a reproducible uh, a way of communicating that's semi-quantitative, that allows one to communicate across geographic regions between physicians and practices. And I think the world of radiology needs to think that way into the future, which is get out of our isolated world of just talking with each other and realize we have to talk with many different physicians across different geographies specialties and experience and translate that language subjective into some semi-quantitative way as the first step. Good. And so, uh, Rich, sort of looking at it more broadly from an organizational perspective, what do you think needs to be done in the future? Because more and more of these kind of structured reporting systems are being introduced. They're very, very valuable. I, I know the referring clinicians surgeons, pathologists, they all value sort of having more reproducibility and decreasing variability through structured reporting. So uh, what do you think we could do uh, to make uh, these uh, offerings uh, uh, more effective when they're originally introduced? Yeah, that's, that's a thoughtful question that's difficult to answer. Uh, I think radiology has done a great job in an expanding 30-year history that we've never seen with new technologies being thrown at us. And I think we've done a marvelous job of seeing how fast we can implement them. Uh, but I think we need to move away from focusing our research on evaluating marginal, minimal, incremental technological changes and sort of counting the dots and saying how good are we at counting dots and go to what Matt talked about is what's the impact on the patient and the impact we can have on care. And I, I think the only way to do that is to move much further away from the isolated radiology community and work much closer together in our research and our communications, participate more in digestive disease week activities where they bring together pathologists, oncologists, surgeons, hepatologists, uh, and really set up multidisciplinary clinical trials that will really evaluate the impact on patients rather than focusing on the specific small issues we face in radiology. Uh, very, very uh, uh, interesting thought. So uh, uh, we're running out of time. I want to thank you both. Uh, Dr. Davenport, I th uh, thank you for a, uh, a really uh, provocative, uh, uh, well-done uh, study. And uh, uh, I recommend uh, all of our listeners uh, read Dr. Barron's editorial. I, I learned a lot from reading it, and I uh, thank you for participating, Dr. Barron. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye.